from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who've just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. It's perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. Episodes are about 15 minutes, the perfect length for car rides, meal times, break times, and bedtime. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, and they work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. The goal of math is to weave humor and education together so that kids won't even realize they're learning. We loved Who Smarted? So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It's sure to please your family as much as it's pleased ours. One of the things I've noticed that is really prevalent these days is kids that have their own rooms that get what they need, that if they move in and they have a roommate that is annoying or has a different schedule or whatever, they have a really hard time tolerating that because they haven't had any practice. And what a first job does is give you practice stepping into all these less than ideal situations because that's such a valuable skill. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Okay, so welcome back, everybody. You all know that we do these Fluster Clucks in-session episodes, which means that I am here with a real live family talking about how anxiety and, and worry might be causing difficulty for them. So let me introduce you. We actually have three people on the call today. We have mom, Kathy, we have dad, Jack, and we have son, Steve. Kathy, why don't you just dive in and sort of tell me what's going on, what you're looking for help with, where are you stuck? Sure. So we have basically, you know, COVID kind of threw us all for a loop. So we're trying to get back to this routine of being engaged both at home, at school, extracurricular, you know, whatever the case may be, and trying to make sure that everybody's basically doing everything they can to reach the next level, as we know. Steve's going to be a senior this next year, and so he's trying to get to that place where he's ready to start applying for colleges in the fall and making decisions about where he's going with life kind of thing. And there's different hiccups, and it's, some of it, I'm sure, is parenting on our end of what maybe we're not saying the right things or doing the right things. And so just trying to figure out where that right balance is between you know, having your kids feel comfortable with where they're going and what the next step is and overparenting and, you know, trying to prevent that kind of an overreach and make sure everybody's kind of happy and on the same page. Okay. Anything else that either of you guys want to add, dad, or is that a pretty good accurate assessment of things? Yeah, I think that covers it. Okay. In terms of, is there a identified anxiety issue here? Has there been any help, any treatment? Do you guys use that? language to sort of frame this up? Or is that not the way you're looking at it? I think that sometimes that sticks in the back of my head as being part of the issue, but I could completely be off base. I think think Steve could have a better idea of, you know, what it is that makes him shut down, I guess, is what, you know, because sometimes it gets when it's too much pressure, too much going on, it feels kind of like a stop everything. I don't want to talk about this. And we don't know how to get back past that next step of having these healthy conversations where we talk about what is causing that stop behavior and how do we get past that? Okay. And is this something new or is this something that you've seen in sixth grade and eighth grade and ninth grade? Or is this something that sort of, gosh, we've never had this issue before? Because it's a shutdown issue, right? It's a I'm out issue. Yeah, I think it's definitely 
a new thing. We moved to a new community before COVID, within the year before COVID happened. And I think that that, you know, on its own, a move is going to cause some form of anxiety. But like I said, I don't think this was something we saw before. I think it's definitely a reaction to the environment of the move and COVID on top of that. And then here we are. I would just add in this, this may or may not be germane, but Steve had a good friend group where we moved from and where we moved to as a different state and kind of a different culture. And so we moved there. And then Steve has always viewed himself as a little bit of an introvert. And I think he has sort of embraced that, that he's comfortable and happy doing his own thing and being isolated. And he doesn't need anybody from the outside. And he's kind of gotten comfortable, I think, with that situation and just kind of treading water. Steve might be saying, no, this is fine. I'm good with this. Back off. I don't need to do things. I'm perfectly content living the way I'm living right now. And you guys are looking at what he's doing and thinking this isn't good for him. He's not out in the world. He's not doing the things he needs to do. And does it create conflict between you as a family? Yeah, definitely between us and him and probably even his brothers to a certain extent. He's a great kid. He's super smart. He's very introverted. I mean, and I think that's not to say he doesn't have friends because he certainly does. And he has made progress in that. And I mean, from where we were last year to this year, we've seen huge improvements just socially and effort wise. I mean, so he there are those glimpses of improvement. And it's just like, how do we help get to that next? realization that like there's more coming down the road to prepare yourself for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you want to weigh in on this at all, Steve? Not really. Not really? Okay. Is anything that your mom or dad are saying, is anything inaccurate or do you think they have an understanding of it? They're pretty on the mark. They's pretty on the mark. Okay. Something that's helpful that you probably know, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that when people tend to be more introverted, when they tend to be, you know, like not the life of the party, or they don't mind being alone. And they usually have a few friends, but not a huge group of friends. A move, or sometimes it might not be you moving, but say you've got a really good buddy and that buddy leaves or goes off somewhere else, that can really be a big hurdle to overcome because you felt connected to these people. When people are introverted, it takes a longer time for them to be able to sort of show their real self, right? They're pretty guarded and kind of shy and it feels a little risky. So that really can throw things in a way that I see all the time. So it doesn't surprise me, as you guys are talking about what happened, is that a move and then COVID on top of that really sort of amplified this situation. If we were to look at the things that Steve needs to do versus the things that he wants to do, how is he doing with the needs things? So that would include like going to school or picking his towels up off the bathroom floor. How's he doing with the things he needs to do? So I think it kind of ebbs and flows. I think the school, when we stay on top of it, things get done, but sometimes it's not the priority to complete work in a timely fashion. But that being said, he ended up with straight A's this semester, so I cannot complain at all. It just kind of took a couple of extra prodding reminders, talking with teachers, let's get this stuff done. Home wife doesn't really have a lot of responsibilities. Put your dishes away. You know, he's good about that. Bringing me your laundry, take your laundry back up to your room. Yeah, I think that we find a lot is just there's no expansion outside the room, which I realize is very common for teenage boys. I mean, I have two other ones and, but the time spent in his room and on the phone is just in totality the sum of what his existence is. I mean, there's not a lot of, outside activities. And that's not to say, I mean, he does volunteer work with me. He works, he does school clubs and stuff, but now we're hitting summer and there's really nothing on the agenda except for an odd, like neighborly job here and there. Okay. Driver's license? Barely. It took about a little bit over a year to to finally have that happen. But yes, very happy to say just got that within the last couple of months. Sorry, I was just going to add to that. There's been a huge improvement from a year ago because we had an issue his sophomore year where it was, you know, we told him it was maddening to us that he just wouldn't turn in work. And sometimes it wasn't because he didn't finish it. And sometimes I think he just didn't turn it in or whatever. And then he can add to that. But 
it was a constant struggle. Then he'd catch up and then it would happen all over again. And that was for his mother and I, it's like, we never did. We never didn't turn our work in. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but this past year, it's been dramatically better. I mean, it just, you know, 90% better. But there's still been a couple of instances where his mother would follow and he wouldn't have turned something in and, you know, she'd get on him and he eventually did. And as she said, you know, he pulled out straight A. So that was great. You know, but the other part, and just to qualify, I mean, kind of in his defense, he does spend a lot of time, you know, he, he's happy in his nest of comfort in his room and he's on his phone. Although most of the time he's on his phone isn't like most kids texting and doing gaming. He reads, reads books on his phone, reads and reads and reads. So at least it's, I don't know, I view that somehow as having more merit than texting or whatever. But you know, and then the other aspect is, you know, so this summer, he just wants to be off and enjoy a summer. And his mother and I have been telling him, you know, look, you're this age. And for a whole variety of reasons, you need to get a job. And his response is, I'm going to have a job for the rest of my life. And so I want this summer to just relax. And for him, that means spending literally 12 waking hours in his bedroom, you know, on the phone, on his phone. And, you know, we're saying, you know, you don't need a full-time job. You just need to work. You need, you know, for personal development, maturity, college, you know, resume, all, all that stuff. And that is an ongoing issue. Yeah. So are you two pretty clear as parents that he needs to get a job? Steve, have we been clear? Okay. And if Steve continues to say no, then what are you thinking about or what's your next step with that? Well, there are, I mean, we've kind of told him there are going to be repercussions. But part of it is that, you know, look, we do a lot of nice things for you. And that's with the expectation that you meet certain obligations. And, you know, and whether it's the way we went and got lunch out yesterday or the way we do a lot of these things, those things are going to stop, you know, and, and other things. We'll quit paying the cellular service on your phone. We'll, you know, we won't let you go drive to go do on a snack run to wherever you want to go. I mean, it's those sort of things that we'll take away. I mean, yeah. And of course, you'd rather not do that, right? You'd rather have a conversation that says, look, as a part of this family and as a part of your development as a human being, this is a reasonable next step for you to take. And we're not going to finance your 12 hours in your bed on your phone, right? And you'd rather have Steve say, you know what? I get that. And this is important for me. And I'd like some spending money. Right. You'd rather than take this punitive approach of saying we're not going to do this and do that. But when somebody is very passive, when somebody says, I'm not going to do something, oftentimes parents will say to me, well, I, I don't know what to I can't make him do it. Right. I can't. He's a big person. I can't drag him to a job. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist. But why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. 
And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Okay, so now back to the show. Now, the thing that's sort of grabbing me a little bit, getting my attention here, is that when somebody is shy, when somebody's introverted, getting a job, getting their driver's license, going out into the world feels pretty overwhelming. And in terms of social stuff, like it feels risky. So even if we put this in the context of feeling anxious about something or feeling uncomfortable with it, it's risky to go and to talk to people and to submit applications and to start at a place where you don't know people. Would you see Steve as somebody who tends to be more socially anxious in terms of, is that something that in terms of his introversion, is he a kid who can walk into a store and get something himself as a little kid? Would he order in a restaurant? Would he talk to adults? Or is that something you haven't seen? I think he does all of those things, but I do think that absolutely there is a lot of anxiety or, and, and that's part of one of the, the reasons why he doesn't want to get a job. Cause I get that. I mean, that's, that makes everyone anxious to go into a new environment. You know, that's understandable, but I, I absolutely believe that's a part of it. Yeah. And in school, how do you do in terms of if you needed to go talk to a teacher, if you needed extra help, if you needed to go and ask for an extension, how did you do in sort of initiating those conversations with adults at school? Well, for teachers, if I like had an assignment I needed to talk about or like a material I need to borrow, I would just, you know, swing by their class during their passing period or, you know, as a teacher leave to go, you know, do whatever I needed to do. But a lot of the time, if I couldn't find a teacher, they were going to be out for some time. I would, you know, email them and either solve it over email or speak to them when they got back. Okay. So in general, you're pretty good at communicating with the teachers at school and getting what you need and that kind of stuff. And I hear what your dad is saying that you're 90% better in terms of getting stuff in. If you can think back a little bit or if to think of a current situation in which it was hard for you to hand something in or you didn't hand something in, do you have any insight into how that happened? The largest one that comes to mind is I had a teacher who was one of the main coaches, I want to say, for basketball. And so, you know, during the year, he had a string of classes where he was just not there for one reason or another for 
you know, a while on end and his class was probably one of the most missing work for. And I, you know, would email him or try and find him, but I just couldn't find him to turn in work and, or I, you know, turned in an assignment online, like most work is, and he just wouldn't see it or wouldn't update it for a while. And I'd have to, you know, find him in person, sometimes even more than once to get it solved. Okay. So that was an example of just sort of that required persistence on your part. Yes. Yeah. How did you do with that? Do you think? I just did what needed to be done. I followed through and just made sure I did what I had to. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Kathy, would you agree that Steve could be persistent when he needed to be? A hundred percent. I think the issue is not his relationships with adults. He's very confident, I think, when he speaks with adults. I think I get the impression from other students who've had him in class that he's perceived as the smart kid. So he is participating in class. And especially if it's something that's engaging, he does not have an issue speaking with his teachers. I think, though, we're laughing because we were on a trip recently and he had to order uh, room service and wanted to order a pizza and was kind of unsure about how to do the whole process. And I laughed because I'm still like that to this day. Like, oh, I don't want to call and make that order. So, but it was kind of a little insight to there are those little things that are unfamiliar where the hesitation comes in about, okay, how do I proceed with this? How do I make this happen? Okay. So once Steve knows how to do something, and if he's a straight A student, he knows how to be a student. He knows what that involves. So we can look at this as a getting over the hump problem, right? As an initiating something new problem. And oftentimes when I'm talking to kids that tend to be, you know, a little hesitant or a little risky to step into something new, the issue is once I know how to do something, once I'm comfortable, once I know the routine, I'm good. But when I have to step into a new experience, a new stage in life, a new something, that's why the driver's license, right? So that sort of sounds like an issue, right? I have to go through this process. I don't know how this is going to go. And it would seem that the job stuff is similar to that. So you've never had a job before. Is this going to be your first job that we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. And just so that I get a picture, are the other brothers is what number are you, Steve? You're two. And so there's an older brother and a younger brother. Does the older brother have a job? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And younger brother, not old enough yet? No, he has a job too. Oh, he does. Okay. All right. All right. So the other two brothers might be saying like, hey, what's the deal? Like we have jobs and he doesn't have to have a job. And why is he being treated differently and that kind of stuff? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. All right. So if you had to guess, Steve, if you just had to, you know, sort of hypothesize about this, what's the biggest obstacle to you getting a job? Personal opinion is necessity. Okay. So you don't need to get a job. You know, as opposed to my siblings who may or may not want one, I do not. You do not. Okay. So the conflict becomes that your parents are seeing this as a need. Your parents are seeing this as an important step. Your parents are seeing this as a responsibility in the family. And you're seeing it as a want, right? If I don't want to, I don't have to. And I think that part of what the conflict is, is that you're sort of making it optional for yourself. And you're saying, look, my brothers want to get a job, but I don't want to. So if I don't want to, I don't have to. And I think what your parents are concerned about is that that means that you're making a decision based on, like you said, personal opinion, and you're making a decision based on how you feel. And when people make decisions solely on how they feel, then generally they don't get things done. Because I would say that probably in the course of any given day, I do multiple things that I don't feel like doing. Give me some examples of things that fall into the category for you of something you need to do that you recognize and that you accomplish. What would be that? I mean, school, probably certainly one of them, right? Yeah, schoolwork, because, you know, I don't enjoy doing it, but at the end of the day, it's done and my grades are fine, so that works itself out. Yep. Some volunteer work that's done occasionally for, you know, high school groups, like honor society, for college applications. So so sometimes you're like, I don't particularly feel like doing this, but I see the necessity of it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Anything else that you do that you do do because you feel like it? Hang out with friends. Recently and coming up soon, there's a neighbor I pets at four, like 
you know, it pays well and it's fine. So yeah, that's a pretty, yeah. Okay. That's good. When you think about your future, when you think about the next step as you enter your senior year, what do you imagine for yourself in terms of college and next steps? What are you thinking about? Is there a difference between what you want and what you need? As in like what I'm going to do after high school or... Yeah. Do you think about that or where's your thinking about that? Thinking about that is probably, you know, after high school, I'm going to go to college and that's probably what I'm going to do, spend, you know, a fair amount of time on both over the summer and this fall is college applications and, you know, essays, that kind of thing. So definitely college after high school, but... I haven't decided on a school or major yet. So Right, which is totally understandable, right? Because you're not even at that point. Let me ask you this hypothetical question. If you were in charge, not 100%, but let's just say 80% of applying to college, what would happen? It probably wouldn't go as well because, you know, I'm still a high school and I have three members of my family who have applied to college and have gone to college or are in the process of going to college. So I recognize that, you know, it'd be best to get advice or help from them for the process. Okay. If we were to divide this up in terms of percentage, what percentage do you feel like it would be helpful that you be in charge of versus you get advice? Because you're exactly right is that you absolutely want to take advantage of the fact that there are other people in your family that have gone through this process before. But if you think about it, what percentage would you want to be in charge of versus the other people? Probably like 25% each parent, like 10% to my older brother, and then the remaining 40 to myself. Okay. So you feel like you'd like the majority of it because that if you had 40, I mean, you're giving up 60 to other people. So it's not really the majority, I guess like to have a say in what I do, but I, you know, I know that I won't be making all the best decisions. So it's, if I have my mindset on something that's not necessarily great or could, you know, hinder my process of applying or, you know, acceptance to a college, I'd like to be balanced out by the beliefs of people I trust. Good. Okay. And how are you, do you think in general, are you good at taking advice? Are you good at listening? It sounds like you recognize that there are things you don't know. I like to think that I'm good at taking advice, but yeah. it's only advice I might, well, no, not advice I might feel is necessary, but there are some pieces of advice, like the ones I've been getting recently about, you know, applying and getting a job, which, you know, that's kind of all they are in the end is advice. Like it's a suggestion, but I personally feel strongly against the matter. So their advice won't really do anything. It sounds like it's more than advice or a suggestion. Right. It sounds like it's an expectation and a requirement. And those are very different things, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So you've decided that it's a suggestion that you'd rather not take. (laughs) Your parents have said, no, it's an expectation. We're not kidding around here. So if you were to argue their point about getting a job or getting out of your room, if you were to take their position in this, what's their position? It's like, oh, you'll, you might want the money later on, or it's, It's a good experience where everyone has their first job, but I mean, as of currently, I, you know, I'm not in dire need of money. I don't spend all that often. Like granted, yes, everyone does need a first job, but as was mentioned earlier, it's, I have the entire rest of my life to get a first job and it doesn't need to be this summer. When do you think it would need to be? You know, either next summer or, you know, during one of my years in college. And what could you imagine doing for a summer job? I'm not entirely sure because I'm entirely fine, like, you know, pet sitting for neighbors, but I can't see myself wanting to work in like some, like in a food industry, you know, something similar. What about in retail or what about doing landscaping or what about working in an office? I think I'd be fine working in an office. I don't know if I'd want to spend my summers working outside because where we live, the summer can get pretty hot. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you go outside much? Are you active? Sometimes, probably not as frequently as I should be, but I don't stay inside like all summer. Sometimes I go swimming. Sometimes I just go and hang out outside. Is it accurate to say that you're spending 12 hours a day in your bedroom? I mean, not including sleep? Uh, yes and no, because some days I certainly do. But, you know, I always come downstairs for meals, you know. And who makes the meals? 
breakfast and or lunch is usually me. Dinner is normally a family thing. So it's, you know, everyone comes downstairs and eats together. Okay. And I'll come down and talk and grab water bottles, get snack, hang out with my siblings, stop by probably even just like four or five times a day, just leaving and walking around to talk to everybody or just hang around. Okay. And how often do you leave the property, so to speak? Like over the summer or like the average like school day? Yeah. Well, when you're in school, you've got to go to school. But if you think about this summer, will you take the car? Will you go somewhere? Will you run errands for your mom? Will you hang? I'll take the car. Sometimes I'll go get groceries. You know, sometimes we go do family activities, you know, see movies, go get dinner once in a while, go drive and get lunch with a parent. If someone were listening to this and they were hearing you describe your life, what adjectives would they use to describe it, do you think? Probably pretty bland. But <laughs> bland, yeah. Any other adjectives? Routine, mundane. Mundane, yeah. Okay. Does it feel that way to you? How would you describe it? What words would you use to describe it? Relaxing and comfortable. Relaxing and comfortable. So if you can be relaxed and comfortable, that's your sort of default position? Yeah. Okay. And if your parents said, you can have some relaxation and some comfort, but we also need you to develop some skills because you're going to be on your own soon. Does that make sense to you? Well, I mean, yeah, but it depends on the skills. Like if they need me to learn like woodworking or yard work, you know, for going up to college, neither is really relevant. But if it's like, you know, laundry, some cooking, that kind of thing, like if I had the directions, I could probably cook whatever meal I might need to. So so do you do your own laundry? I do not, know because it's, you know, as a family of five, it's a lot easier to do it just like, you know, one large, a couple of large loads at the end of the week instead of individually. Uh-huh. And that's coming from somebody who doesn't do laundry. So I'm going to defer to the person who actually does it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I have two sons also. So I know all about boys and laundry and teenagers and laundry. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. It goes back to sort of what I was talking about at the beginning is that there are wants and needs and there are expectations and there are suggestions. And if in your family, you decide that you are the exception, that you don't have to get a job, you don't have to contribute, you don't have to, that causes a conflict not only with your siblings because they're wondering why mom and dad are treating you so differently. Well, it's not like I'm getting treated any differently because both of my siblings chose to have a job because my older brother, he wanted money. And my younger brother has friends working at his workplace. So he's like, oh, I'll go spend time with my friends and make money for it. Like, I don't feel the need to do that. It's not like they pressured either of them into getting a job. You know, the only person who's getting pressured is me. And I would just add one thing to this. And I don't know if I could be completely misdiagnosing the situation, but and I don't know if this is driven by his desire for these things is overcome by his anxiety about doing them. I don't know if that's the reason, but it's when he said earlier that he has enough money and he really doesn't want that many things. That's kind of true. It's not that he's super spoiled, like we buy everything he could possibly want, but he just doesn't want much, you know, and want is motivating. Dog sets for the neighbors and makes $200. And that will keep him in whatever snacks and soda and whatever he wants for weeks, if not longer. And, you know, he's got his comfortable room and he's got his phone. You know, I would, his age was saving to buy a car. He doesn't have an interest in that. And it's just like there's nothing else he finds motivating enough to cause him to do these things. Because he's got enough comfort that he really doesn't need anything else. Because he's got a house and he's got food and he's got cell service and he's got clothes and he's got gas for the car if he wants to go buy snacks, right? So there's really no need for him to want anything because it's being provided. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. And I'm sure your other sons have the same, you guys don't make them buy groceries and I'm guessing they're not paying you rent and you're helping your son with his college tuition, right? And so it's not like you're going to say, okay, so you need to go and support yourself now, right? That's not the goal. So let's think about it in terms of developing autonomy, And I think really, and I say this very often, if there is one skill, if I could take my magic wand as a therapist and inject this into a lot of the kids that I see that are anxious or that are even struggling with depression or whatever, it would be the ability to do things when you don't feel like it. That is an enormously helpful skill because it comes up over and over and over again. And not only is it a helpful skill for yourself because you've got to do things like pay your taxes and hand your work in on time and get your oil changed and all these things that are not very exciting, but it also is enormously important in the context of social relationships. Because when somebody decides that they are going to use their feelings and their wants as their guiding principle in life, it generally tends to piss off other people. Right. So if you are working with somebody and as you're working with them, you know, you're sharing a project and the person says, well, I don't feel like doing that. Right. Or I'm not going to show up or. Yeah. So maybe you can go talk to that guy. I'm not going to go talk to that guy. Right. I don't feel like it. So whenever somebody says that my guide, my principle in life, my standard of decision making is whether or not I feel like it, that tends to cause a lot of problems, sometimes individually, but really more powerfully in the context of relationships. If Steve was living by himself right now, and if he had a trust fund, or if you guys were just putting money in his bank account, and that was fine with you guys, that would be fine with Steve because he would have what he wanted and it wouldn't require anything of him. But that's not the way that your family is set up. And you guys are looking ahead And you're recognizing, rightfully so, that you've got this young adult who's struggling with this concept of, I need to do things when I don't feel like it, and that I deserve or that I've earned or that I want to bank my relaxation and my comfort because I know what the future will hold. The problem is when kids say, I don't want to get a job now. I don't want to initiate this. I don't want to suffer in a first job because most first jobs kind of suck and that's just the way it is. I don't want to do this, but I'll do it later. They miss out on some really important opportunities to develop this skill, 
of doing things when you don't feel like it. One of my sons got a job with a landscaping company a few summers ago. It was when he was in high school, actually, before he was in college. And if it was going to be over 90 degrees that day, they started work at seven. He would get a call that they were starting work at five because they were trying to beat the heat, right? So instead of being done at three, they'd be done at one. He dreaded that, right? That was awful. But he learned he suffered. And so it's, you may be listening to this, Steve, and thinking like, why in the world would I want to do something on purpose that's going to make me suffer? The reason is because that's a really helpful skill because later in life, that will happen. Even in your dream job, even at your dream college, even as you're thinking about who you're going to live with at college. One of the things I've noticed that is really prevalent these days is kids that have their own rooms that get what they need. If they move in and they have a roommate that is annoying or has a different schedule or whatever, they have a really hard time tolerating that because they haven't had any practice. And what a first job does is give you practice stepping into all these less than ideal situations because that's such a valuable skill. Even if you're in your dream job, even if you live in your dream house, even if you figure out a way to manage your life, you will have to have that skill. And what I hear right now, and again, it very well could be, as dad says, this hesitancy, this anxiety of stepping into something new, that in itself is a really, really helpful skill to have. I had a client who went away to college, first time off to college, crashed and burned really quickly, came home really quickly. And he had never had a job before. And so one of the things we did in the year that he was home, because he was super anxious and we were dealing with that, is that he had to go and get a job. He worked in the deli of a supermarket. And that was transformative for him because it wasn't that he needed to learn the skill of slicing ham. It wasn't that he needed to learn the skill of washing out the coleslaw container. It was that the, he learned the skill of tolerating and dealing with things that weren't particularly pleasant all the time. And also learned the skill of talking to people, engaging in conversation, show up at work when he needed to, how to manage his time, all these other skills that he needed. He went back to college again and did fantastic and had a roommate that was kind of tricky to deal with, but he managed to do all that. So that job that he had, he didn't need a job as a cheese slicer, but he needed a job as I can handle things that are uncomfortable to me and I can handle things that I don't feel like doing. And sometimes first jobs are all about money. Sometimes first jobs are my family can't afford to put me through college. My family can't afford to put gas in my car. This is a situation in which the circumstances of first job is a valuable learning experience based on the skills that you want to take with you. And if your default position is, I want to feel relaxed and comfortable, that means that you're not having the opportunity to say, you know what, this sucks, but I can get through it. So in terms of getting a job, Steve, money obviously isn't a motivator to you. I think if you had to pay for your own cell phone, it might become a motivator to you. But money is not a motivator to you. But relaxation and comfort is in direct conflict with these are really important skills that I need to learn. And so I think mom and dad framing it up as this is preparation for college. When I see kids that go off to college and the parents have really done everything, they've supported them financially, they bought them a car, they pay for their gas, they pay for their cell phone, and they did their college application. Either that same style moves into college, so the parents are really involved in writing the papers for college and paying attention and signing them up for classes and all that kind of stuff. Or the kid gets to college and is really ill-equipped. I use the word suffering not in a dramatic way, but just as a way to describe that there are things that you have to get through that you don't like to get through. There are situations you have to handle that feel uncomfortable. There are things that you need to do. So it really is sort of getting over a hump problem. Does every kid need to get a job? No. Is getting a job the summer before your senior year in high school a really good opportunity to practice not the skills of woodworking, not the skills of lawn care, 
but the skills of not putting your feelings in charge. And if you think about the skills that Steve would need in order to get a first job, the question that I would want to think about, the question I would ask you guys is, does he have the skills to get a first job? Does he have the skills to keep a job? Does he have the skills to show up at a job? If he doesn't have those skills, then this is a great opportunity to learn them. If he does have these skills, then it only helps as he's using them in preparation for the next step. So I get it. I mean, if we all listed the first jobs that we had, you know, none of us would be like, yeah, that was awesome. I loved working at Skippy Seafood and Chatterhouse and running the fryer. That was fantastic. Being able to recognize that this is not a suggestion, it's an expectation. And I don't know that you guys need to be afraid of making that an expectation and being able to be very clear. And maybe you're, if Steve doesn't have the skills of applying to a job or going in and filling out an application and following up, then just as he's going to want some support as he's doing the college process, he probably wants some support in figuring out how to get a job because he's never done it before. But it's an enormously helpful skill for somebody who's relying very, very significantly on how they feel. It's a really good opportunity to move into being able to do things when you don't feel like it. Truly, if that's the skill that I could inject to kids, I'd be a gazillionaire. Yeah, because we all need it. You know, and today, most of the job applications are online. So you don't, like when I was a kid, you don't even have to go and walk in and ask for an application. You just apply online and you hear back. And fortunately, in this labor market, there's a lot of demand. Yeah. So Steve, have you looked at any jobs at all? Some of the things that are being offered in my area, because I might be interested or, you know, they might be the least bad option. Uh Uh-huh. Nothing really in-depth. So it may be a way of looking at this is that you are looking at the least bad option, right? Does it make sense what I'm saying about developing this skill of being able to do things that feel uncomfortable or do things that you don't want to do? Yeah, but it's not like I've never done anything that makes me feel uncomfortable before. Like, Yep, I totally believe you and good for you, right? And I mean, I think that's the improvement that your parents say that they saw over the last year is that you started doing this. This is just the next step. Right before I got on the phone with you guys or on this call with you guys, I was talking to another teenager who's entering her senior year and she's got this job. She's going to go for training. She's nervous about it. And I said, consider this job a laboratory for you to figure things out about yourself. She has a tendency to catastrophize. She has a tendency to feel a lot of dread when she's stepping into something new. This is practice. So the job itself is not the be all end all but it's the ability to step in and go through the process. And again, can't emphasize this enough. This is the ability to do things in a way that will impact your social relationships. Because whether or not you can slice ham is not the issue. Whether or not as a family, there is an expectation. And whether or not as a family in your relationships, you learn how to do the things that you don't feel like doing, that's what makes stronger relationships. Friendships, marriages, siblings, all that kind of stuff. As you can probably gather, I am in support of you getting a job. And when you say to me, I want to stay relaxed and comfortable all summer and lie in my bed, I get why your parents are like, I'm not sure that's the best plan for this guy. Your parents can help you with this. It sounds like you need some coaching. It sounds like you need some support. But I think it would be a really valuable experience for you to have as you move into adulthood, which I'm sure you've probably heard before. I'm trying to give you a little more context for it. I'm trying to offer you some things that you can think about beside like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to get a job and my parents are making me, but to really sort of understand the value of the skills that come with it. When I go to the gym, Steve, there's a sign. They took it down recently, but there's a sign that says, work your weak parts. Everybody can go in and do bicep curls. What are the areas of you that you want to bolster? I think you've got relaxation down. Good for you. Now let's work on the other parts. So now I'm going to leave it to the two of you guys, parents, to sort of put this into place. But I think it's very reasonable to say this is our expectation. We'll help you do it. But this is valuable. This is necessary. It's important for his mood. It's important for his next steps in life. Again, doesn't have to be 40 hours a week. 
but there has to be a process of, I'm going to go to a job that's not the most fun in the world, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to get my paycheck. And as silly as this sounds and as contrary as it sounds, I'm going to suffer a little bit while I do this because I'm not going to totally be connected to the way I feel about whatever next step this is. That's a little bit of a warning sign for me, Steve. That's something that I'm paying attention to is that you're like, I don't want to do this. I don't need to do this because I don't feel like doing this. As you move into college, as you move into the next steps, that view of life, that view of the world isn't going to serve you particularly well because it makes you avoidant. That's what we want to get ahead of. All of this in the context that your parents have said, you've made great progress. It's much different. And also all of this in the context of me totally acknowledging that a move during COVID for somebody who's introverted was really, really hard. And good for you for being able to move out of a really difficult situation and do what you needed to do for school this year. So you should give yourself a lot of credit for that. Well done, because it's really, really hard. You've done so many things that you needed to do and they were hard. So now I'm just giving you a little bit of a push. Let's see if we could take this one more step. You could work 10 hours a week. You could work 15 hours a week and you'd still learn a lot of those valuable skills. Any other questions for me, guys? No, this has been great. (laughs) Okay. I am always so appreciative of families that offer to do this, right? Because I know that I'm offering you something, but you're really also providing something really helpful. And I will tell you as families listen to this, this is not an unusual problem. So there are a lot of parents that are going to be listening to this, a lot of kids that are in this situation that people will be listening to this and say like, oh gosh, we're not alone. And that's really the whole point of our podcast and the point of all the work that I do. So I so appreciate you sharing this story with us and with other people. I thank you for your honesty and your openness. Steve, I am so appreciative of you showing up and sitting here and listening to me. We've never met each other before, but I hope in some way that what I've said can be helpful to you. And again, kudos to you for getting through a really, really tough time. Yeah. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.